Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Hey friends, I got a really, really cool woman with me today. She and I have a lot in common, but she's smarter than I am, so I'm about to get schooled. So let me tell you about Kelly Underwood. She's an LCSW. She's a seasoned speaker, consultant, and psychotherapist, specializing in the field of trauma since 1996. She was five at that time, y'all. Kelly inspires and changes her clients' desire personally, professionally, and Organizationally, she cultivates dynamic trains and speaking experiences with her charisma, contagious energy, her skillfulness in teaching you how to create sustainable change. Kelly facilitates training with organizations, various groups, schools, school systems, and individuals on a wide range of topics. Kelly was the director of child and family programs at Chicago at the Center for Contextual Change for 15 years and an adjunct faculty member at the University of Chicago's Master's in Social Work program for seven years. Prior to her launching her own business in 2013, she specialized in facilitating healing from all forms of traumatic experiences, children, adolescents, adults, couples, and families. She does it all. And she strives to help those affected by trauma to be able to have the tools they need to live healthy and fulfilling lives. She provides powerful healing retreats and trainings and transformative insight imagery, a holistic healing technique. Her techniques and unique ability to connect with people at all stages on their healing journey have earned her praise from her peers and clients alike. And I got to tell you, it's earned my praise as well. So Kelly, welcome to Flip Your Lid. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with your audience, Kim. This is, you have a fantastic thing going here. Well, I appreciate that. I love my people that listen and they are, they're hungry. They're hungry. And so I know you're one of those people that's been on a quest in life to get as much information, modalities, knowledge that fits your spirit. Yes. And that way you have such a wide range that you're providing for just about anybody that's that's ready. Yes. Or maybe not maybe even pre ready. Pre ready, yes. Yeah, even that. So so all right. So thank you for being here. You know where we start off and we'll just see where this goes. But I'd like to know what experience, event, flipped your lid. And what measure did you take to reconnect to your true self? Well, you know, I have thought about this question because it is a famous Kim Honeycutt. <laughs> That's awesome. And I thought you might ask it. Right. And I thought, you know, I really struggled because I don't know if anybody out there can relate to this, but I think I have flipped my lid a lot of times. Amen. And I think it has been a series, a very long book with many chapters of flipping my lid mm. and each one taking me on a little detour, curvy road to connecting to myself a little more. Right. And I'm a big fan of we are lifelong learners. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you about the earliest one that I think flipped my lid and got me on the path that I'm on with healing myself mm. and others. And that was when I was in high school. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was clinically depressed. Mm. And I really didn't know how to get through life at that time. Strange to say, but when we're young and we have so much ahead of us, but we can't see that, right? right? So what I did was I begged my family to let me see a counselor. 
Yeah. Small town, rural Indiana. Yeah. You know, counseling was not anything in my parents growing up. It wasn't something they were familiar with. It wasn't something Mm -hmm. they really believed in, but they agreed to let me go. Yeah. I was a senior in high school, so I drove myself to counseling and it changed my life. Wow. And I remember they gave me the master's in social work student intern as my counselor. And I was sitting with her in my third session. Never in my life had I experienced feeling so seen, heard, accepted for right where I was. And I remember leaving, getting in my car and crying and saying tears of joy. I said, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to be her. Wow. I'm going to be her. I'm yeah. going to do the work to get more whole myself. And this is what I want to do with my life. And so five years later, believe it or mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. I was in the same MSW program. Wow. That, that counselor had inspired yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying the resiliency in that to be able to know it's not in your parents' wheelhouse and you still said, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. And the way you just described all your emotional needs being met, you know, being seen and heard, how important is it that we get seen? Yes. It's, it's yes. vital. It's vital. Yes. So many of us are so invisible in our childhood for yes. a variety of reasons. And, and, and not only did you go and you got fed and you got loved on, but I love how Spiritually, things come back together. Yes. And you got to be in the same MSW program. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. Was that program in Chicago? No, it was the Masters of Social Work program that is still there at Indiana University. It used to be Indiana, Purdue University in Indianapolis. Gotcha. Okay. In Indianapolis. Yeah, it was the only MSW program at that time in the whole state. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, like that really flipped your lid. Yes. I mean, that really did. Yeah, yes. that's amazing. And so, so, so at what point, so you're getting your MSW, you start moving, like how do you figure out, because of what your therapist used, a modality might not be in what was for you professionally, right? Like how did you figure out your modality? How did you figure out how to, to get grounded in what worked for you? I think that was really a long journey of, you have to have more confidence. I had no confidence in myself when I was, you know, going to bachelor's social work, master's social work. I didn't have a lot of confidence. I really was no joke, my own worst enemy in my own head. Oh, absolutely. Sure. You know, I I, I say to my clients, we have mean girls Mm -hmm. back in middle school who've taken up housing inside our head and our body and they just continue to beat us up every day. So for me, I think a lot of the journey was, very much that parallel process. The more mm-hmm. I worked on myself, the more I did healing work for myself, the more I found modalities that I was passionate about and that aligned with who I was in my skills. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of what that first experience was really active listening and cognitive behavioral therapy. And I've really moved. I'm much more of an experiential, very eclectic, you know, using imagery, using all sorts of now physiological somatic techniques to help people interrupt the patterns in the body Mm -hmm. and the nervous system. So it's a long Mm -hmm. journey of as long as you're open and you're always seeking the next thing that's going to help you. I'm a big believer in having a variety a wide menu of options for my mm-hmm. clients because different things work for different people. 
Yeah. I, I love the words you're using, and it may just sound silly, but like just just the idea of the menu, just the idea of the openness that it takes. And so I'm going to tell you, like, this is this was my issue with MSW school. And you can tell me if you had an <laughs> no. issue. Tell Part me. of my issue was I was told who I was going to be. I was told I would never make money. I covered my ears every time they said that. Because I, I knew I knew I wasn't going to do something and not do well financially. Like, what's the point? That's just me. So I didn't believe that. But I really got told that I was the modality and not to step outside of it. And I can promise you, all my patients will tell you that there are a lot of chemisms that come into the session and that's comfortable for them. Yes. Like they don't need to see a robot. And so I'm just curious, did you get taught that kind of thing when you were going through? I have, it's been so long since I was in MSW school. I want to be fair and accurate <laughs> because I'm blurring it with my time as an adjunct faculty teaching MSW I see, students I see. Yeah, and yeah. lots of clients that I've had who are also counselors and therapists. So to be fair, I think this you're hitting on one of my buttons with, yeah. with school programs for counselors. And I'm yeah. not speaking to all the programs, but I think... I have had many interns ask me this question about how much do I get to be myself? Yes. It's a great question. Have, Just the fact that they ask it's great. Right. Yeah. Because they've gotten very different messages. And, and mm-hmm. the reality is there are very different belief systems out there among all types of therapists, psychotherapists, counselors, about how much you bring yourself into the room, mm-hmm. how much you share, self-disclosure, all of that stuff. Right. I I am sorry that you got that message and I feel that that is not uncommon unfortunately right. to get so, that message. I wonder if they they sort of want to err on the side of caution and they overdo it for students who are mm-hmm. new to the field because mm-hmm. they'd rather them not overstep. Right, sure. But in doing that around our ethics, they unfortunately sometimes people get the message that they are the modality and it's it's about First and foremost, it's about bringing all of who you are That's right. and creating a relationship mm-hmm. that is one of the most unique kinds of intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 100%. you can't do that if you're right. not real. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, so you and I now know, like, our job when someone walks in, or even we're doing a training, right? Because we do a lot of trainings, is to be in ventral vagal, right? To be in that yes. place of, of connection. And so to be fresh out of school, that's hard to do. But just to even have the wording for it of knowing that you are, we have to be connected to self yes. so that the person in front of us can be connected. And the more you know yourself, you know when to, when to joke, you know when to do self-disclosure, yes. when to cuss, or when to pray for somebody. Yes. Right? Because it's based yes. on them from a place of your own personal connection. Yes. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't learn that in school, but I did no. learn it. But I did learn it. Yeah. And, it, and we have to learn it somewhere because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it leads to burnout and people leaving the field. Mm-hmm. They don't figure it out or get it somewhere. Right. Is that one of your specialties, compassion fatigue? Yes. I yeah. love talking about compassion fatigue. Go on, girl. Talk about it. Do it. Um, well, I love the idea of the, the, the people who know way more than me and have done the research and studied energy management. One of my favorites is the book, The Power of Full Engagement. Mm. And these two fellows um, studied elite athletes, which I find fascinating. You imagine your job studying elite athletes from a psychology perspective. And I'm really oversimplifying what they found. But basically, they discovered that 
the only predictable variable between two relatively equal athletes was who rested and recovered best. Yeah. I've heard that. That's amazing. So I really try to bring this to all the facets of my work with people, because again, if you know, when I walk into a room of a training or onto a screen Mm. or into my office with a client, the reality is that person, those people that are there with me are pinging off of my energy. Mm -hmm. And I have to take, that's a big responsibility. Right. Right. Yeah, it is. And so the better I manage my energy, the more capacity I have to take care of other people. Yeah. So I love to talk to people who give care for a living about the fact that if you're not taking good care of yourself, but you think you're doing a great job with everybody else, you kind of have it backwards. Right. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, this is why they tell us um, on the airplane, right, that you have to put your Mm -hmm. own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. Because what we do is we keep trying to help everybody else and then we pass out on the floor because we got no oxygen. Right. Right. And that's considered glorious. That's considered noble to pass on the floor. Exactly. And I I think that's a big disservice we do to people that we we honor that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of... Yeah, very much. A lot of people who go into this field, one, have spent time in their own trauma. They spent their time in fawning, meaning like there's a codependency, the people pleasing. And so they become a therapist. Like it's, there's a commonality with that. Yes. Yes. And so that's, that's definitely a part of the crowd I'm sure you're training and helping. And there's people like me who don't fall into that. Right. Who don't have a lot of feelings. And it's actually advantageous for me. Mm hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah. So um, because I don't know if you know about the Enneagram, but I'm an eight. And yeah. so, the, yeah, the last thing I do is feel. I do, I think, and then I might <laughs> feel something, right? And I'm very much an aggressive stance. So when someone's going through something, I know it's them going through it. I don't make it about me. Oh, wow. Right? And that's that's why I've had no compassion fatigue. That's that's my secret that's right That's amazing. There. Right? Yeah. I love how you just explained that. And I love how you brought in the Enneagram because I'm always promoting the Enneagram. Yes. I was actually hoping to go to Chicago to go to one of the big trainings on the Enneagram before the pandemic hit. Um, right. But that's, that was really great. Ex- I think that will probably Thank help you. a lot of other eights out there. Yeah. Um, and people who aren't eights. You right. know, this is my big thing. We are all different. We have so much in common. Mm-hmm. I wish we could feel more love and support and how mm-hmm. much we share mm-hmm. in being human. But then can we also just really respect and honor that we're all individually different right. and we really need to listen for how things work for someone else and yeah. not make assumptions about yeah. that. And because that's the beauty of what you said. When we do our own work, I can recognize someone sees and hears differently Yes. And so I can craft it towards them. But it's also find a person that will craft it towards me that yes. I hear and see things differently. Yes. Right. And yeah. that there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. That like it's <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to date or marry yourself. Oh no. Right? <laughs> there's gotta be a little bit of something, something going on, a little spice. Right. Well, and one of my one of my teachers at the Center for Contextual Change was the the founder, Mary Jo Barrett, and um she, you know, she really taught us in her model of how change happens that every single quality that you or others use to describe yourself is both a vulnerability and an asset. Mm, that's good. That's I good. love to think of it as all of our qualities are a two-sided coin. Mm-hmm. And if you put me in one situation, 
me being a very intense person or having over-focused ADD, which I do, right. is wonderful when you're a psychotherapist. Right. Because you are everything in the room and nothing <laughs> exists, right? Right. But if you put me in another task that involves multitasking, mm-hmm. I'm going to bomb. Right. That's a real vulnerability for me to have yeah. over-focused ADD. Yeah. So every quality can be a strength. It's mm-hmm. really about when and how. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that's a real empowering message for people. Like it's not about okay. getting rid of something about who you are. It's about learning how to use it as a strength. That's right. How to find the self in it. Yes. Right. So that it's not a defense mechanism. There's actual, it's actually authentic. You know, when to use it, when not to use it. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's good. Can you, can you put your words on change? Cause people can hear that and hear it in such a benign way, but it's powerful. You just nailed one of the biggest things I try to say about change. Really? I did? Yeah, uh, you yeah. did. Because, yeah. I mean, I want to hear other people's definition of change because I want to start with what your definition is, not mine, first of all. But, but second of all, you're right. I think the biggest problem with what I call sustainable change versus just change, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want to eat healthier. I want to exercise more. Something simple. I want to stop you know, leaving that pile of clothes on the floor over there, something real simple. Right. But the problem is we make, we don't give value to the incremental progress we make. Mm. We don't Mm. notice it. We don't have a vision, a muscle in our eyeballs and our body to notice, Hey, I didn't do it that time. Right. Right. And so then it makes it really hard to make change stick because we get in our way. We get in our own way all over the place and we sabotage ourselves. Right. Um, and part of that is because we just think it's all not a big deal. Well, so, you know, but nine times I forgot to do it, Kelly, they tell me. And I say, but I want to talk mm-hmm. about the time you didn't do that's it. Right. That yeah. Let's talk that's about right. that. Yeah. Because if right. we know the recipe for how to do what works for you, mm-hmm. we don't really have the problem anymore, do we? It's a good point. If we keep doing what works. Right. But, but our culture trains us to notice and perseverate mm-hmm. on what's not working right? That's and right. what's making us sick and what feels terrible. And, and understandably, we're all sort of wired mm-hmm. to knee jerk into that. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times you ask somebody about a strength or a positive or what went well that week and 30 seconds into it, they're telling you about what went wrong. Oh, Absolutely. Right. And and don't have the awareness that they have a negative subjective bias, that they, did, they don't yeah. even know they went there and how draining right. it is to hear that. Yeah. And yeah. so this is not a judgment. Listen, I'm just, I'm guilty of it too. I have worked my tail off right. to get the negative voices to shut up. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And they still make appearances regularly. Mm-hmm. But the key is when you have supportive people in your life, who can help you notice, develop the ability to notice mm-hmm. what works, notice when you were successful, and really keep supporting you, encouraging you. That, that's what shifts it into that sustainable change. It starts, it, it may be the other thing stuck and you just didn't notice, but now you're noticing. Right. Now you're right. noticing, oh my gosh, I, I really don't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what does this remind me of? Like, I'll have people come in, and I maybe I've seen them for a year. And, you know, I have Kleenex, just like I'm sure you do, strategically placed throughout the room, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's in the same place, has to be in the same place. 
Because when people walk in a therapist's office, like there needs to be structure. Things need to be the same for people, right? So I'll help people I'll see for a year. And after a year, they'll walk in and go, oh, you have Kleenex today. And that means something has shifted in them, something has changed, and they now can notice something else. But they can't tell me what changed. They just now are have an observation, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of um, I recently completed the training of Steve Terrell. And mm-hmm. you may know he and Kathy Kane have that great new book out, Nurturing Resilience. Right. And he does really great work on trauma healing. And he told us one day in our training that uh, somebody asked, how do you know when somebody's getting more capacity in their nervous system, when they're getting more regulated Mm -hmm. physiologically? And he said, well, let me give you an example. He said, I have a six foot by four foot painting that hangs on a wall in my office. And it's been there for 10 years or longer. And when somebody starts to come in to being more embodied and having more moments of settled, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, my client walked in and said, oh my gosh, you got a new painting. <laughs> That's right. And, yeah. I, and he said, uh, well, it's been there, but I'm so glad you're noticing. Yeah. Because what happens is our, literally our vision can open up more, right? Mm-hmm. We can, if we're not so anxious or stressed or, self-conscious, you know, our, literally our vision narrows. Yeah, that's right. Our window of tolerance is narrow. I'm going to look at the one safe thing in the room, which mm-hmm. is probably you if I'm in yeah. your office, Kim. Right. I'm going to look at you and I may not be able to take the room in. Right. And so he said that. And do you know, within the next two weeks, I had three clients come in and notice things yeah, <laughs> that had been there. And then they got kind of mad at me when I tried to say they had been there. So I just said, oh, you know what? That's Maybe that is new. Right. <laughs> Let's go with that. It's new to you. It's new. <laughs> that's the thing, though. It's new to them. And that's right. That's the change. That's what you are a part of. You're teaching people how yeah. it's new, right? And that you notice that the grass is green. Yes. You know, that's a true thing that you, you won't notice. You won't tell. Can you talk and, a little bit more? Go ahead. I'm sorry. And if I do notice, am I just dismissing it? Because our job is to go, wait, 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 don't dismiss that. Right. That's, that's right. an important moment. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be in that green grass for just a moment before yeah. we move on here. Because that's, that's right. good. That's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of being an attuned therapist is that if someone walks in and they say, hey, I'm tired, that's where we're going to start. That's right. Like people say things intentionally around you. And so it's figuring out which path to take and giving them the option which path to say. But people don't say things just to say them. That is a great statement. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the other statement I love. It was written by the folks who wrote The Explosive Noncompliant Child, uh, Ross Green and, and Dr. Ablon. But, you know, children do well if they can. Ah, that's good. And if that's they're good. not doing well, something's getting in the way. Right, something's going on. And our job as the grown-ups is to be the detective and figure mm-hmm. out what's getting in the way. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's just amazing. Yeah. How do you how do you transition from working with a child to working with a couple or working with a 60-year-old? What's, what, what, what do you do differently? How do you interact with that? I, I think it must have something to do with my Enneagram number. I don't know. I'm a four. Uh-huh. But I think I came out of the womb loving and needing and hungry for diversity 
mm-hmm. and not wanting too much of the same thing. So it works for me because it's an adventure. Right. And when you move from a couple to a child to mm. something totally different the next hour and what people need each, each hour is, is a very different it choreographed is. dance of yeah, attachment and need. Yeah. And so I love that. I love that. I feel like it's, it makes you use all parts of your brain, your body and your spirit. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, everything's, that. everything's got to be present and you've got to be open to what the need of the moment is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So good. I love yeah. it, but it's, very different energy. I, I, I really feel, and I do a lot of training for therapists who see children. I started out in my career seeing, gosh, 80, 90% kids with complex trauma mm-hmm. in the child welfare system. And that is a different kind of depletion at the end of the day. It's yes. a very different kind of depletion. Yeah. And that's the word depletion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love your answer to that. And I love that you're a four besides eights. Fours are my favorite. <laughs> I think I'm the best. Y'all were second best. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's a high compliment coming from an eight, right? Yes. That is a, I don't think there's a higher compliment from any Enneagram number. Wow. That's great. I'm a little, whoo. That's awesome. An eight likes me. That's That's right. I love fours. Fours are great. I love We we need approval. So this is. Yeah, the approval. What's so interesting to me is that y'all are um, so into your feelings and I'm so not, and yet I'm drawn to people who are able to do and have a capacity for what I don't, mm-hmm. but can do it safely without. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like there's, there's balance. There's, it's not about being in your excess of your number. I'm talking about fours like you that are, that are wonderful in balance. So it's good. It's good energy. It's good to be around. Well, thank we, you. And I think we make nice, we make a nice balanced in our strengths. We're, yes, we're that's a good way of putting it. We can learn a lot from each other. Yes, that's a very, very true statement. Yes. So I'd love to learn from you, speaking of learning about transformative insight imagery. Oh, I am just tickled pink you asked about it. I love it. Yay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the truth. This is my story. Transformative insight imagery was one of the biggest, probably in my whole life, flip your lid moments. I mean, Mm. it has just, I I just, I have a little video on my, on my website um, that talks about just really candidly my experience of walking into the first transformative insight imagery workshop that I went to in Dr. Charlotte Smith's home in Chicago. And she really just did it in Chicago for 25, 30 years. Mm. And it was life changing. I, I would say 99% of people who experience TII go, wow, I am really blown away because all the different things, I'm always getting trained in things. I'm always trying to learn new ways to help people. The TII is really foundational for me because all of the images in transformative insight imagery come from the imager. So mm-hmm. it's not guided imagery. Okay. Which is very different. It's not hypnosis. You're, right. you know, awake. You may close your eyes. You may keep your eyes open. But we're really bridging different levels of the conscious with the unconscious. And, it, you know, when early on, people called other forms of this, like, wakeful dreaming, kind of. Mm. But what's really fantastic about it is it's the process of doing TII imaging is empowering, it actually teaches you how to trust yourself. Wow. So the thing that I love about it so much is people learn how to use it on their own without a therapist. 
and they learn that their answers and the resources are inside of them. That's right. That's good. So they're finding their own strengths, mm. learning how to connect to it, learning how to access it and use it at the right moment in their life. And I just don't think there's a greater gift you can give somebody than a greater sense of trusting themselves, right. a greater sense of I, I can listen to me and my resources and they're right here and they're with me all the time. I don't have mm. to go see Kelly to yeah. get that resource. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the beauty of TII. And it's, I, I also think it's wonderful that it's both a stable, stabilizing technique and a mm -hmm. transformative technique. So we spend a lot of time working on developing your resources. So you find a quiet retreat place that's your center that becomes your home base you may have multiple centers. You actually meet your right and left brain. Yeah. You learn how to bring greater balance to them. Huh. And how and then you begin to see some ripple effects. I have some stories that I'm writing in the book that I hope will be out next year for TII. I have some crazy stories about what people have experienced when they really started uh, attuning to their brain and the ripple effects that start to happen in their life. And then we meet our own guides and mentors and right. whatever form they appear. And how wonderful when you haven't always had a sense of connection or wisdom or support. And then people are always shocked on who or what appears. Childhood mm -hmm. pets, mm -hmm. grandparents, a coach, a Boy Scout troop leader that mm -hmm. was, you know, life changing for someone. Um, sometimes it's a spiritual Many, many clients have had Jesus appear, right, right. talk to them. I mean, yeah. people really can be moved spiritually in right. TII. And so after we develop the resources, we really work on how to use the resources. It's, it's unbelievable. And then we move into people experiencing in the healing retreats or the trainings for therapists, the eight-step process of facilitating facilitating people into transformative healing. Mm. So people can go back into an event, a blocking belief, a physical ailment, you know, maybe they're having headaches, maybe they have neck tension. We can do a lot. And it's all about, we can't change what's happened factually, right? Mm -hmm. But what we do in TII is we transform how we hold it. That's right. How we interact with it, right? How we hold it, yeah. right? So uh, one example, a, a client years ago came in and had lost her childhood pet, mm. was devastated and was a young adult and had a lot of changes happening at once, was really kind of going through some traumatic stuff. We went in to her center, gathered her guides and mentors, and I asked her if, if a new resource or support might be there. Her puppy showed up, her beloved dog. Oh, that's amazing. And in TII, you are blown away by the experience of all five of your senses open up. She mm. could see her dog. Mm -hmm. She could feel his fur. Mm -hmm. And he gave her the gift of his collar. And I'll never forget, she had been having panic attacks. And she could feel the collar. She could smell the collar, you know, smelled like her dog even though this was all an imagery and right. she ended up using that gift over the next couple of weeks to really help her, not only to let her grieve, but it really became this support that when she felt the collar, she thought about the collar, she felt that love and comfort mm. from her dog. Mm. 
Right. And um, the same client also got a quilt from her grandmother. And she w- we would use the imagery. She would have the quilt come and rest it on her chest. Mm. The quilt was full of the unconditional love and acceptance of her grandmother. Yeah. And every time she put that quilt on her chest, she would stop her panic attacks. Yeah. So these are embodied, deeply felt experiences that come from the imager, mm-hmm. right? I can have mm-hmm. a room of 20 people and facilitate them to find their center. And I may have 20 different centers that appear. Right. Sure. And so, and then the eight step process is just, it's just profound. Um, the, the all versatile, very, very versatile and can be integrated. I integrate TII with just about every other approach and technique mm-hmm. that I use. And, and I think people really find it to be safe. They feel mm-hmm. in control. They mm-hmm. feel like it's their choice what they do, where they go. Right. And that's a game changer, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like you get, because so much of what what's, gets people to walk in our doors is that things are unfinished. There's unfinished business. Like there's no, they don't yes. even know that there's, that they are literally stuck in their bodies, right? There's a memory stuck in their bodies. It sounds like it allows them to finish what got started. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I have been able to integrate it well with Steve Terrell's work, with somatic experiencing, even with EMDR. Mm. Um, and I've had it's body so- workers come and use TII very effectively. Mm. Um, it's just a very versatile thing. And, and very few people are not willing or open to doing right. some injury. All right. Well, one key thing you said for me, and pray for part of our audience, is you said, I don't have to close my eyes. Because yes. the minute someone, especially someone I don't know very well, tells me to close my eyes, I'm going to look and see where my purse is. I'm going to cl- close one eye, <laughs> have my fist up. Right? Like, it's just not yeah. going to work out. Yes. Right? Because you can't start that way for imagery. No. So just that, just to give someone permission to... To still get there with their eyes open. I think that's powerful. Always, always have to have permission and choice. That's right. And you can change your mind. Yeah. You can say, this isn't working for me. I want to go this way. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. you get to always change your mind. And that is very contrary to trauma. Right, right. It it sounds like there's some similarities. It reminds me of EMDR. Mm -hmm. Except it sounds more interactive. EMDR bores me. Everybody knows that. It just bores me. (laughs) I'm certified in it. It does not excite me at all. Um, but the the beauty is still in it, right? The re, you know the reprocessing and reprogramming yes, that we need yes. is still very vital. But yes. this sounds so much more uh, imaginative. Yes. Yeah, I really like that. Yes. Yeah. You know, Dr. Charlotte Smith did um, her dissertation on the TII as she was developing it, and she found that folks who were doing the imagery, she put full cap EEGs on them. Mm-hmm. And she found that they had much greater balance. Like physical then, balance. Yeah. Balance between the right and the left brain mm-hmm. was occurring. Um, it was less asymmetrical than the control group. Right. And she also found that there were actually new pathways opening as people were doing like the free brain travel that, that part, all parts of the brain started lighting up. So it's pretty exciting. I would love to have someone do research again on it now, knowing what we know now. Mm-hmm. Um, and see what they would find about it. Yeah, that's just so powerful. You know, I, I don't share this a whole lot, but when I did work with Dr. Richard Schwartz for Internal mm. Family Systems, I got to work directly with him. He's he's amazing. And they did very similar what you're talking about, the guides and mentors. And so I had a, 
I had a guy show up and she still shows up. I, she lives in my jaw. I know that sounds strange. I don't care. It's my <laughs> truth. And she's me at age eight, but she's got a cape on and she keeps her hands on her hips and she don't, she doesn't tolerate anything. And she will advocate for me so fast. And so, and that was probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, I worked with Dr. Schwartz Ugh. and got trained by him. And it, I will, it, she, she still shows up for me. It's really powerful. That. It's really powerful. My eight-year-old Kelly wants to be friends. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah we, can, <laughs> we can fly around together. <laughs> yes. And you yeah. know, one of the first things we do is um, go and free a lost self. Yes, that's it. That's it. And and that has been, I mean, talk about flipping my lid. The first time I found a little Kelly, I, I was just blown away to have your current self mm-hmm. be able to say, look at, look at what we've done. Look yeah. at where we've gone. Look yeah. at how resilient we are. Look at what we're doing. Right. And be able it's, to get current. Oh yeah. yeah. That's big and healing trauma, uh-huh. you know, getting unfrozen in time and right. bringing it into present. Um, right. Yeah, I love that. I love the picture yeah. of your eight-year-old. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. My Kelly in the eight-year-old was wearing a pink sweatsuit um, and had a little ponytail. And I think I was um, trying to learn how to do the uh, long jump when I found her. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 And and just symbolic, right? Yes. In the long jump. Just think how meaningful that is. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. That is so yeah. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're if you're listening to this and and don't really know about inner children, not inner child, but inner children work, yeah. you know the one of the lies we have out there is that your past is your past. That is proven scientifically. It's not true. It's proven through your behavior. It's not true. That there are parts of us that are stuck, and so our ability to be able to go in and learn how to regulate differently and get unfrozen and move out of your dorsal vagal, which people spend a lot of time in, mm-hmm. and don't realize it. Is is it is life giving? Yes. Yeah, you just got to be with someone trained like Kelly who knows what they're doing. Yes. Right. That's important. Very, yeah. very important. Yeah. So you've done a lot of somatic work. It sounds like it sounds like you got a lot of somatic tools and regulation of emotions that you're teaching people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is there, is there anything particular along that when you're dealing with somebody with um, trauma that you're finding more? success in certain somatic tools that you're using? Oh my gosh. It has been another game changer, you know, in my 20, gosh, three, four year career, being able to track another person and um, noticing what's happening in my own body first, right. Noticing Mm -hmm. tracking my own nervous system states right, and noticing where someone else is and helping them it's really about growing this capacity, but the somatic tools have been really amazing. I do a lot of consulting with schools and school districts. And so one of the things that I was really frustrated about was there's a lot of like tools that schools, you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned, trying to help kids with behavior problems, Mm -hmm. but the kids don't remember them and they don't use them. Right. I mean, you yeah. can have the best tool in the world, but if people don't, if it doesn't work for the mm-hmm. person you're delivering it to. It, it, no change happens. Right? right. So I have found that the somatic tools, all ages, remember them and use them. Wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You think your audience wants to learn one or two? I, I think that'd be great. I would love for you to do that. Okay. Okay. So let's, um, 
I apologize in advance. I'm going to have you think of something a little stressful, but I promise I'm going to get you to a better place if you go with me on it. Okay, That's a good promise. So I want you to think about something that's medium stressful. So if we had a scale of one to 10 stressful, just start with something that's like a five. A person, a relationship, an activity, a task, something, something that gets you a little like a little stressed. All right. You got it? Yeah. All right. So now I just want you to kind of use a little imagery, let yourself see this stressful thing, hear it, feel it. Kind of just connect to it for a moment so that you can notice how the stress starts to show up in your body Mm. and where you start to notice it. Do your thoughts get faster? Mm. Definitely notice what happens with the breathing. Does it get shorter or more shallow? And then where else do you start to feel the stress coming in? Okay. Yeah, I got it. Now, stay with it and check where your tongue is. So for most people, your tongue is either in the roof of your mouth if you're stressed or it's pushed into the back of your teeth somewhere or it's, it's kind of tight. Hmm. There's some contracting going on, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about the stressful thing again, feel the tongue, notice what's going on, keep it tight for, and I'm going to count down, three, two, one, and we're going to stop thinking about the stressful thing and I want you to relax your tongue. So I call it putting the tongue to bed. Let it relax down. Say, good night, tongue. And then the next step is to try to let your jaw relax with your tongue. Some of us, it's very hard to relax our tongue. Mm -hmm. If I relax my tongue and my jaw starts to relax, it's going to look like I'm a baby drooling. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Then get really quiet for about 10 seconds and see if you notice what happens. takes a little practice, but Mm -hmm. you may have felt a little pulsing or a little feeling of it getting a little quieter in there. People feel it very differently Mm -hmm. in a sensory world. So some people are very sensate. Some people it's very different, but what literally happened physiologically, whether you realize it or not, is the minute you relaxed your tongue, your blood pressure dropped, Mm. your heart rate dropped, your muscles started to relax. So you were in a little bit of a sympathetic right. stress response. Right. And the tongue relaxing sends a signal. I call it tapping the brakes on the accelerator. Mm-hmm. Right. Sent you a little bit more into parasympathetic. So it just slowed you down a little bit. Right. Because the tongue has like nine cranial nerves in it. So it's a really great GPS for what am, what's really going on with me. Wow. So now I have a lot of people go, oh my gosh, I didn't know what I was feeling. I checked my tongue and sure enough, I was stressed. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I've been doing this long as you have since like we're the same person pretty much. Um, I've never been taught about the tongue, thought about it when it comes to stress. So you just, I knew you were school me today. I knew you would. Well, I I I always want to give thanks to my teachers, you know, because I think it's important to reference where we get our wisdom and not steal it from people. (laughs) Yeah, I like taking all credit, personally. I I, I really. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, Dave Berger, Dave Berger was my teacher, B-E-R-G-E-R from Somatic Experiencing. He's he's unbelievably knowledgeable, and we learned a Mm. lot of great tools in Somatic Experiencing. So if you want to drop your tongue and then go the next level with the combo pack, to slow down the stress, then you want to add in what I call the pinwheel breath. And that is, if I had a pinwheel, 
long, slow from the belly, takes a little practice, to exhale, slow and steady, eight seconds minimum. This is very hard for us in our culture, so let's try it. You do that with your tongue dropping and you just, you know, it was like we were speeding down the interstate. Right. We're doing 80 and a a 65. And now we're doing 68 and a 65 Mm because not many of us actually go 65. Let's be honest. Right. So that that's what we're doing. And then we got other tools we use to do the opposite. You know, when we're too hot, we're a little bit in dorsal vagal. We're a little Mm -hmm. too, too Mm -hmm. shut down that bring us out. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the skills of even knowing that someone's in dorsal vagal, which is parasympathetic, and getting out of that. Yes. I, I don't think we teach that enough. I don't think people no. hear about it enough. So no, can you don't. give a real quick example how somebody could get out of frozen um, dorsal well, vagal? You know, it's quite a continuum. Yes. Dorsal vagal is the most extreme state where somebody is really in like a, a plain dead state for mm-hmm. survival, which is brilliant. When we're talking about bringing somebody out of that state, that is really just a little bit of touching into sensation. Um, It could be as much as can you feel what your left pinky finger is touching Mm -hmm. right now? Can you just just try to move that pinky finger a little bit and see if you can feel it? Yeah. Yeah. Can you feel maybe the back of the chair on your back? Mm -hmm. Just notice where it's touching your back. So just really slowly and gently bringing, you know, and then obviously a little more ventral vagal is, would you be willing to see something in the room you're in that's pleasant for you? Right. And just tune into something. And a really great one is notice where the door is. Mm. Just feel Mm. the door and see the Mm. door right now. Right. That shifts us real quick because we like to know where the door is. Right. But when we're talking um, another tool that we do in the, in the world of dissociation or, you know, trying to co- come back when we need to come back, because dis- dissociation is a very worthwhile thing that we all do and it's functional. Right. It's about knowing how to get back when we want to come back, right? So really great one is we gather our breath and we hold a note that sounds like vu, but we make the sound of a foghorn. Again, this comes from Peter Levine and somatic mm-hmm. experiencing. We make the sound vu. It's people have a really hard time describing what it feels like, but it's like a vibrance. You're really stimulating your entire vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like this. If you want to try it with me. Mm-hmm. And so we hold it. Isn't that a cool feeling? Yeah. And that's kind of like yeah. this. I feel like this in my vagus nerve, which starts right. way up here and goes all the way down. You know, yeah. you feel a little, it's kind of like when you've been like on an elevator or something that's moving too long and you get off and you can still kind of feel it moving. Right. That's how it's it like is that. for me. Yeah. It's other people really describe it differently. Right. But I'll tell you, I have a lot of clients that when they're getting really triggered um, between sessions, they do a little voo. Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah, we like so, to voo. Yeah, so so it felt silly. Like mm-hmm. the voice came in, a teenager yep. came in and it felt yep. silly and it still worked in my body. There you go. That's it's, what people tell me every yeah, time. It still works. So so even if you don't do voo, if you, even if you just hum, 
Yes, I mean, great yes. thing that gets you I mean, great. back into ventral vagal, gets you back into connection. That's due to your vagus nervous running completely through pretty much most of your body. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so I was going to ask you how you're using polyvagal theory, which is a lot of what you just talked about yeah, in session, absolutely. but you just told us. Like yeah, you just I'll described you, it really well. I'm going to give a shout out because I just got a new book that I'm using with clients too. Uh, oh, the yeah. Polyvagal Exercises. Deb, that's Deb Dana. Deb Dana. Love. I have that book and other books by her. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's great. And yeah. she's got some really great stuff to help people begin to learn the different states, yes. to learn to notice where yeah, they the, are. To know the ladder, where you are on the yes. ladder, right? To really learn yes. that. Yeah, it's, I'm so glad you're talking about this stuff. Oh, I love great. polyvagal. I just can't find people who want to talk about it with me. So I'm so excited right now. I love polyvagal. And this is what this was found interesting. My patients pick up on it quicker than I did. Really? Like I, I had to study it. I did you know, too. I had to study, study. They were like, oh, I get that. Oh, that makes sense. I explained to them story, follow state. They're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I'm like, Y'all are phenomenal. They get it. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I think what helped me was when I heard from Dave Berger, the analogy of um, the accelerator of the mobilization system mm-hmm. and the sympathetic nervous system is like, you know, going too fast, accelerating right. when it's dysregulated. Yeah. And when he explained that when we're too high in parasympathetic, it's like we're riding the brake. Yes. And so when I teach like educators and other folks, I, I use that and that, that really helps people wrap the start to wrap around it, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. I'm like, so what if we just like slid into cruise control a little more, right? right. <laughs> Isn't right. that nice when you hit right. that sweet spot and, you yeah. know, I'm from Indiana, so you can cruise all day long <laughs> on the flat, the flat land of Indiana, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, partly I explained the same thing you're saying is that frozen and calm look the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So both you know, dorsal vagal and ventral vagal can look the same. You have to know your body to know the difference. And we are taught to only live neck up. Yes. Yes, we are. Unfortunately. And there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot. And and there's brilliance in your body. Your body has perfect memory. It can really help you know how to handle situations. And so part of why, like, it's so important to listen to our gut. But if you have trauma... You don't have connection to your gut. You don't have gut instinct. You have trauma responses. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's like you're doing such a wonderful job of teaching people all of this, all of it mixed in together. Well, I think you are too. I would say one more little, one more little soapbox for me is I get real upset and I don't quite know where to put it. I've had Mm -hmm. so many clients who have tried to get help from other practitioners like and I'm not, there are so many great ones. So I'm mm-hmm. not meaning to rip on anybody, but you know, they maybe go to a, a primary care doctor or they go to a chiropractor or they go to some other kind of medical person who is, some of them are really, really good at what they're doing. Really mm-hmm. good. But they haven't been trained in trauma. And so I have clients come back dissociated completely in their trauma symptoms because of what you just said. Mm-hmm. They don't know the difference. The practitioner does not know the difference between calm. Yep. And and yeah, it's very true. And so they think the person's just fine. And the mm-hmm. person is completely, completely dissociated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I just wish there was a little more educating in, in mm-hmm. all kinds of fields about mm-hmm. this, because this, this it's so powerful. It's so helpful. It can really 
change people's lives to have not only a psychotherapist who understands it, but other practitioners who understand it and can be attuned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to imagine an entire family all speaking polyvagal, all speaking <laughs> somatic, right? Like how different, the, the, there wouldn't be fights. It would be, let's all say voo, right? It would <laughs> right. be right. so different, you know, because you would have agency over yourself and then there would be yes. such a connection in that. Yep, yep. You know? Yeah, before thing. we have this conversation, Kim, we're going to baby drool. Let's baby drool before baby we talk. Baby drool, all the time. <laughs> so the last thing I want to say about ventral vagal and dorsal vagal is for everybody to hear this, and this because this helped me to hear this, is that ventral vagal is immobilization but without fear. It's that moment where you are possibly just watching TV with your husband, wife, friend, and you still feel really connected and you're just sitting still and relaxed or you're in bed and you're cuddling to stare at each other and you're totally at peace. Yes. Dorsal vagal, you're immobilized, but it's with fear. Yeah. It's with fear. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very, very different. And so the more we learn about that, the more we can actually be connected to self and actually then be connected in in relationships. I love that. Thank you for saying that. I would add that many people that I know have experienced what you just described with their pets. Yes, because the oxytocin is so strong. Yes. Yes. And it's such a tactile experience Mm -hmm. to, you know, rub rub your dog's belly or pet your kitty. Get some kisses from that puppy. That's some good kisses, Kelly. Yes. Just saying, some good stuff there. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. Well, you're an excellent practitioner. Um, we're going to end with putting you in the hot seat. Uh oh. Yeah, you're going in the Uh-oh. therapy hot seat. So I'm going to wait. Ask you let me, let me yeah. get my regulation on. Get ready. Get regulated. <laughs> we can co-regulate together. My control here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask you just some simple questions, silly questions, and first word that comes to mind. Oh is boy. All yours. All right. Should I censor or not censor? Because this could this could get no, this into is, this is the Kim Honeycutt show. No censoring. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, okay. All right, what what word comes to mind first when you hear the word perception? Gosh. Ugh. Everybody's personal truth. Personal truth, that's really good. Most normal thing about you? <laughs> I don't know. That You're a four, so I don't think you can answer this. <laughs> I don't have any idea what's normal about me. <laughs> Oh, God. That's hilarious. Wow. I mean, I I think I've become even more of a homebody from this pandemic. Right. I'm a pretty, I'm pretty ordinary. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm just most, a regular person. Most interesting phobia to you? Oh, that I have? Whether uh, you have or just that you know about. What do you, what phobia is well, out there? I think I need to own my own. There's some, okay. It's now funny, but yeah, I can have a fear of heights. Mm-hmm. I, I did want to, I came to Charlotte. I came to Charlotte and did that place with the, the, the water, the whitewater rafting. Yeah. And, you know, you get up. You, you zip line. You did rope. zip line. I did the zip line, but I did that rope thing where you're walking. Right. Up the air and they yeah. say you're safe. Yeah. I froze. They, they didn't know what to do with me. I got so stuck up there. I was terrified. Like I kept telling my brain, you're not going to fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 that was, I get a little terrified of heights. No gotcha. joke. Gotcha. All right. So that's <laughs> yours. All right. So good. All right. What is your dream vacation? Oh, I'm working on it right now. 
I want so badly to go to Europe. I want to go to Tuscany. I want to go to Florence. I really want to go to Norway or Denmark. I really want, I really want to go check out Europe. All right. That sounds great. That's a, that's definitely a four thing. Love all the creativity in that. I'm glad I'm living up to the fours. You are. You're the best. All right. If you had to give yourself a new name, what would it be? Oh. When I was a kid, I don't know why, I felt like Kelly was a little too common. So I wanted to be Kayla. Kayla. I like that name. I wanted to be Kayla. All right. Kayla it is. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) All right. Last thing. What did your playlist reveal about you? Uh, that I love diversity, that mm-hmm. I embrace everything, and yeah. yeah, it's very diverse. I love that. Well, I have loved this conversation with oh, you. Oh, I have had a great time. Is it really over? It I'm really not. is. Oh, We're at an hour in people's attention span. They can't handle us. Oh, man, this they was can't. a lot. It's yeah. a lot on screen. Thank you yeah. all for joining. Yeah, I appreciate it. This is so good. How would people get in touch with you? Oh, yes. So exciting news. My new website launched. It is kellyunderwood.com. K-E-L-L-I. If you spell my name like the ordinary way with a Y, you will not find me. So it has to be kellyunderwood.com. And I'm actually giving away, if you choose to sign up for my newsletter, you will get a free audio CD of Finding Your Center from TII. Ooh, I'm signing up for that. Your website looks yeah. great. Your new ones look so Thank fresh. You so much. It looks fabulous. It really does. It Thank looks you. great. Thank All right. You. Any other Instagram handle? Anything else? Oh, you want Instagram to is starting in a week or two. Uh, my Instagram and Facebook are Kelly Underwood LCSW, licensed clinical social worker. Right. So you can find me on Facebook or Instagram there. And I'm going to be starting a series of uh, posts. Okay. So by the time this comes out, you will have your Instagram up. Everything will be good. I just ask that people. Jump on that. She's going to give a bunch of knowledgeable information, free, free love for all of you. So take the time to be a part of what she's doing. Kelly, thank you. Loved getting to know you better. This has been fantastic. It's been great. Thank you for what you're doing. This is a fantastic forum for folks. Oh, I appreciate that so much. So to all all of y'all listening, I know you heard something that flipped your lid. And I also can guarantee you heard some wisdom from Kelly that helped you reconnect who you really are. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today. <laughs>